My name is Michael Steinberg, and welcome to the Future Motion Podcast, where we talk about everything that's coming down the line in the motion design industry, and where we also discuss cool VR, AR, XR, and metaverse things that are happening. So today, we have with us Alex Manrique. Ah, man, I love this guy, and I love talking with him. Um, he's a 3D artist who is fantastic at doing uh, like fashion design and particle work. He's been experimenting in Houdini and does a lot of marvelous designer and is just like fantastic at Cinema 4D. So I'm really excited to share this episode with you all. Um, as well, we're kind of keeping the episode slightly topical, and with this one, we are going to be discussing a lot about NFTs. Dun, dun, dun. Um, you know, I've always been skeptical about it in the past, and I've been turning a new leaf um, a little bit into its potential possibilities Uh with where it could go and what it can do and just even its value. So we go over all of that because Alex, he actually has a lot of experience in the market and the field and funny story, he was one of the first people that actually told me what an NFT was. Um, And he goes way back with me, well not way back, but when we first started doing the future motion meetups, he was one of the very first people that ever showed up. So this is a very special episode with a very special guest. So guys, we're just going to go ahead and jump into it. Hope y'all are ready to learn a little bit about NFTs. Let's do this. This is the Future Motion Podcast with your host, Michael Steinberg. All right. What is up, man? Alex, good to have you on. How are you doing, dude? I'm good, thanks. What have you um, been up to this week? You've been working on any projects, doing any fun stuff, enjoying the nice New York City weather? Yeah, I recently moved to Manhattan. That's like life update. And then other than that, NFTs. <laughs> well, congrats on the move to Manhattan. You're moving from Brooklyn, right? Yeah, from Crown Heights to East Village. Big moves. So you said you are also been working on NFTs. Yeah, like entirely. So are you doing any drops or are you mainly doing trading nowadays? I feel like it's a wider answer, but trading. The one-of-one art world seems to have dipped. I don't know when it'll come back, but when it does, I'll go back to that. Well, I'm excited to jump into that further with you and maybe even butt heads a little bit because I'm one of the people that when it comes to NFTs, I'm trying to learn what it is and still figure it out. So let's go ahead and just jump in here and learn a little bit about your history and what got you into the field. In a few words, what would you say you do exactly? I am a 3D artist. The reason I say artist is because I don't just do motion design or branding or ads. I feel like artist captures more than that. So that's what I call myself. Okay. And what kind of programs are you using? Primarily Cinema 4D, Marvelous Designer, Redshift Renderer, and a little bit of Houdini. I love your work in Marvelous Designer. So good. So, and it adds such a nice flair to all of your pieces. Thank you. Mm-hmm. 
Well, so with motion design, I always make the joke. I don't think anybody as a kid grew up being like, I want to be a 3D modeler. <laughs> but so what got you into the field? Did you have any aha moments like this is what I want to do? Or was it kind of like schooling? You know, we've had some people go from photography into 3D or just illustrations into it. What was your path like? So I studied communication in college. So it has nothing to do with art. I was always into art, but I never thought I could do it professionally because I didn't go to school for it. What inspired me? I honestly can't pinpoint the moment. All I remember vaguely is I think I saw an Instagram video of, do you know who Extra Wegg is? No, I don't. So he's this really good 3D artist and he does these really trippy videos. And at the time, it was like nine gag or those like weird accounts that just share random videos. And it was one of his videos and I liked it. And I was like, I want to learn to do that. And that's what sparked my journey into 3D. Wow. So how long ago was that? Maybe five or six years ago. I would say five years ago. Nice. So that was kind of when 3D was starting to come out a lot more in the industry. So you're in communications, you see this post it sparks this curiosity and kind of this desire to want to get into the field a little bit. What paths did you wind up taking from there to achieve that? Okay, so right out of college, comm major, no art experience. I got my first job in this ad agency. It was like data and spreadsheets. It was horrible. At the time, I was learning 3D on my own, like YouTube tutorials, Cinema 4D, and I started to build a portfolio and the portfolio was primarily marketing stuff, like more graphic design. My goal really was to get in design period, whatever that was. So my first job in the field was a production designer at another ad agency. And I quickly learned that I hated it as well. <laughs> and, and as all of this is happening, I'm learning more and more 3D and it's very clear to me that this is what I wanna do. So. Well, I was at this job for maybe two years and mind you, this whole time I'm learning 3D, like on my own time or sometimes even on the job, to be honest. And I got hired at Perception here in New York. That was my first like official role, like in 3D, like motion design. So when you were at these ad agencies doing, you said data analysis. Yeah, the first one was data and the second one was a production designer. So I just took existing assets and put them together in Photoshop. Well, so that was a jump in itself from data analysis to going into Photoshop, right? Yeah, that was a, a big jump. But uh, yeah, I was able to make an okay portfolio, I guess, to get me that job. When you were doing the data analysis, were you like one of those people that quickly had to minimize the window you're like working on like 3d and photoshop and then your boss walks by <laughs> you like switch over like exactly. doing spreadsheets <laughs> yeah that's actually exactly what it was really yeah. I, love, I love that and i love that you literally were able to go into one field hardcore and within five years you just pursued the art career and you are where you're at right now and i know it's crazy and for everybody listening who might be inspired or thinking the same thing, just do it. There's so many opportunities in the art field right now with 3D, guys. Mm -hmm. So 
you go in, you're doing this Photoshop gig. What kind of Photoshop gigs, like how was your portfolio when you got that Photoshop job and what was that work entailing for your entry field position? So my portfolio at that time consisted of, you know, like those generic marketing material mock-ups where it's like pen and paper kind of stuff with a logo on it. Right. That's what it was. And I had at the bottom of the portfolio, I had like a 3D section, which was really just really basic tutorials from YouTube rendered on physical render. Like it did not look good, but I just, I just wanted to show that, oh, I'm interested in this just in case. Well, so you were hand drawing some logos, it sounds like. No. So I really didn't know what I wanted to do yet. So I was never like an illustrator. I never really did any kind of Adobe Illustrator or, yeah, I've been having a hard time answering it because I was never really in that space for that reason. So to this day, I don't really know what I was doing. I just knew how to navigate Photoshop enough to, for someone to hire me. So you went from doing document spreadsheets to having technically Photoshop and 3D programs open to now you're doing Photoshop and now you've got even more 3D programs open. So how did you make that transition from the Photoshop career into 3D? Did you go into freelance after that or did you kind of go into another job? I stayed at that job for almost two years. It was in San Francisco and I got them to relocate me here. How did I transition? I honestly was still just doing tutorials after work and during work. I just kept growing my skill set in the background and I eventually got to a spot where I guess a studio felt it was good enough to hire. And now the application and applying process is pretty key in our field. So I, I want to get into that a little bit more, but I got to always ask these East Coast to West Coast questions. How was it for you going from San Francisco, which is one of my favorite cities in the entire planet, and making that move to New York? It was easy. I liked San Francisco, but it's really small. And after four and a half years, I honestly felt like I saw it all. I ran into the same people every day. I don't know. I wanted more. I've always wanted to live here. So I just went for it. It was good. That's great. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I know some people always have that really tough struggle or that it's hard to adapt. But New York, though, there's just so much here. It's like an endless journey of fun. Mm -hmm. So you transfer over here with a job and you are working on your new real. Now, this must have been like three years ago, correct? Yeah, sounds about right. So did you just pursue social media a lot? Like I know a lot of people, especially three years ago, was using Instagram, there was Behance, or were you doing a website or all of it? I think I did what most people do the social media route, Instagram, with like a paragraph of hashtags. <laughs> so you had a following. Now, did they contact you or did you kind of reach out to them? So I reached out to them. At that time, I was sending out applications. Great. So you started working with them. And how was your job there? It was great. It was, uh, I think, a, a very necessary step in my career. And what exactly did you do there? So my title was a designer and animator. What I did there was a lot of different things from 
animating certain scenes, look development, a little bit of art direction, a lot of R&D, 2D and 3D. It was honestly all over the place. And while you were there, what would you say were some of your favorite experiences? Unfortunately, I can't disclose any of the clients I worked with, but I think my <laughs> my favorite thing was well, yeah, I can't <laughs> I can't even talk about it. Uh, it was just this one simulation that I worked on that if you had asked me to make that, I would have said I can't. And then doing it weeks on end and getting help and critique and getting it better and better every day and then seeing the final result, that was my favorite. Yeah, I feel like the growing aspect in our field is one of my favorite parts. Just learning new programs, always seeing a new plugin, getting it and mastering it is such a fun part of the journey. While you were there too, I love though that story how you can't disclose any clients. I always find this is super funny how a major corporation will hire an agency and the agency isn't allowed to really ever say that they worked on it with the company because the company wants the credit as if though they made it. And it's like such BS, like obviously artists made this. Why can't you just let artists say what they made? And then the actual artists can't even say a lot of times what they worked at at the agency because the agency wants to take all the credit. Yep, <laughs> it's like, I agree. It's a whole cycle of people just wanting credit. Mm -hmm. for, it was only me. I just think <laughs> such a, so prestigious, but I, I kind of get it. But I, I always found that part to be so funny. I wish there would be some kind of system where, or just generally accepted that artist made this commercial or whatever kind of media you're looking at and it's totally okay to give credit to them that part's always boggled me a little bit about our field of work yeah it kind of sucks i mean i've learned now that if a client will not allow me to share something then it's going to cost more because me not being able to disclose or share any work is a loss for me because more work and more examples to show is what gets you more work. So if this five month gig is gonna produce zero stuff for me to share, then that's a lost opportunity. I love using that as, I wanna say a leverage tool, but it's not even a leverage tool because you're completely right. It's all of your time and effort is going into giving them something. And if you can't even post about it in even the slightest, it's like, your social media is getting completely abandoned. Your branding of yourself is getting completely washed away. Yeah, that's a great point. I love that. That's something I'll have to keep in the back of my hand. I've never even thought about asking that at the beginning of the process. And also a caveat, since I'm a new freelancer, like although I say that and I, I do stand by that, as a new person, let's say a really great gig lands on my lap and they say I can't share it. I guess it depends on the nuance of the contract, but I wouldn't be opposed to taking it, say, at my normal rate without that premium because one, I need the money. Two, I want the practice, the exposure, the skill, gaining, etc. So it's not always black and white, but I think in the future, it's something I would stand my ground on more. So let's even just go into your freelancer now. So I guess, tell me a little bit more. You go into your first 3D motion gig, all type of mediums of art at the job we were just talking about. So where did you go 
from there. And what was your next step after that? So after the studio, first of all, quitting was really hard. It was a really scary decision, but I'm very happy I made it. Right after I had one gig with Foot Locker, that was interesting. <laughs> and after that gig, I didn't work at all for like a month. And I was thinking, okay, I failed. Let's apply to McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> I was really scared that I wasn't going to find any work. Everyone that I reached out to was like, relax. This is how it works. Downtime, uptime. You're going to find work. So you went from your first job in Photoshop to then doing kind of multimedia work. And then you quit straight from there to do just freelance. After perception, after the studio job. So you do the Foot Locker gig. So then what happened? I mean, that's got to be super scary having one client and not hearing from anyone else. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if I did it the right way. I think people say have a consistent client base before you quit, but... I don't know. It's hard to have that while working full time. So I just took the leap and I'm very happy that I did. But right after that first gig, it was kind of scary. Like I said, I didn't really have any client work. But I will say, though, I did have savings. So anyone who's thinking of doing the same thing, definitely have money set aside just in case. Well, so how long ago was the Foot Locker gig? So that one was supposed to be like a month, turned into like three months. So you, you're doing this work. Did you wind up getting more work after that? Was that kind of just through reaching out a lot more, doing email blast, or were you hitting up people on social networks, LinkedIn? So Foot Locker, I don't know how they found me. I think actually, no, I do. They found me through Instagram, which actually a couple clients have. And other than that, it's through recommendations. So I'm a part of a few like MoGraph, Slack, Yambo and Studio, Slack, where people will share like, hey, I have this job if you're interested. Or I'll cold email studios and then eventually those become new contacts. So you're really actively always using more like these forms and I'm not even sure what you would call Discord or Slack. I don't want to call them social networks, but... I guess they kind of are. So you're kind of using that primarily to get your work these days. I haven't really been freelancing that long since March. So I have a handful of clients that have been reaching back out to me. So I haven't really had the need to try to find a ton of new clients. However, that might change soon because I don't want to be relying on a handful of clients. So what is the main programs I guess you're working with currently? Yo, know, you said Marvelous Designer. Are you still using? I know you said recently beforehand and in previous talks, you're using Houdini. Are you still using that a lot these days? I've only had to use Houdini maybe once or twice during a client gig, but it's primarily Cinema 4D and Redshift almost always. Now, have you used Octane before? Yeah. Okay. So what did you like or not like about Octane versus Redshift? Octane is cool. You can get really good results in like three clicks, but it crashes a lot, at least for me. And that was the biggest thing I didn't like about it. And then I heard a lot about Redshift and how a lot of studios use Redshift. So I learned it and now I can never go back. <laughs> yeah, I personally am more of an Octane person. Well, this is my rule of thumb, which maybe it's not the best rule, but... I always say 
for myself is I love Octane for doing stills. And then if I'm doing videos, I'll use Redshift because I feel like I get a more consistent quality with Redshift. Whereas with Octane, I just find I run into so many errors, whether it's with the glass or there's like a weird shimmer texture or the lighting is a little bit trickier or it kind of fluctuates just from camera movements. I've, I've had more success with Redshift. That's always my rule of thumb though. And I feel like I would use Octane more if I had a lot more GPUs. Like if I had like a little mini GPU farm, I would totally be like willing to go harder with Octane because you see the things that David Aria and Beeple post with some of their videos and it's like, that is so clean. But then you look at what they're running and they've got like 12 GPUs and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those guys are crazy. Well, so when you're using Redshift and Cinema 4D, besides Redshift, what would be your favorite plugin that you use? X Particles. Nice. How long have you been using that? Maybe like three years. Okay. Do you still feel like you're learning about with it? Or I haven't used it too much. I've done a few tutorials, but how long would you say it took you to get good using it and comfortable? Sorry, let me change my answer. I think two to three, somewhere like that. But, um... So when I first got it, I used it 24-7. It started to replace other things I was using. I really, really like X-Particles. I mean, it has a lot of limitations, but I really like it. I haven't used it in actually months now for many reasons, but I still really like X-Particles, and it's my go-to for any kind of particle simulation. Okay. Well, let's jump into some of these little fun questions here. And then I want to get into NFTs because I got to pick your brain on that. So some fun questions. Any good movies or shows you've been into? Squid Game. Squid Games. Yes, I love Squid Games. Yo, that was so good. So good. So good. Any graphical or GFX that you appreciated the most in that or did anything stand out to you graphically? Not really. The only thing was the opening title, the animation of the, the title. Yeah, I thought that was really well done. Yeah, I loved that. I loved the design on the mask, especially the, well, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but at the end, the masks that were there, that was, those are just beautiful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those are great. I mean, I almost want to find out how they did that and like what went to that and the designs that they had to go through to finally figure out something that they liked. But those, those just looked so epic. Agreed. Yeah, they were really cool. Such a good show. I really feel like, too, that Asian films have been taking off so much, which has been so nice because it's just different. Parasite, that came out, I think, last year. That was awesome. Did you wind up seeing Parasite? Yeah, I saw it like four times. It's so good. Korean media is definitely like taking over like i have some korean friends that will say squid game they're like oh it's a fairly like common theme and type of show but to us we're like eating it up but i love it yeah it that actually makes me think that it's kind of interesting that you just said that it's a common thing because i wonder how much of the influence is of netflix giving us access into that world because what if Netflix is sitting on 50 other films that are just as good and they know it, but they're just kind of pumping out one or two at a time or 
Because I, if you asked me like, oh, what about this Korean film? Where would I go watch that right now? I don't know. That's interesting. I would love to see Netflix post a lot more foreign films. Alice in Borderland, that was great too. I don't know if you, I think that one's in Japan. Did you watch that one? No, I've never even heard of it. Ooh, that's a good one. That came out before Squid Games. It's actually pretty similar, but it's a lot more of a thinker. The games are kind of like puzzles and you can figure it out as well. So the timer will start and you're just kind of trying to figure it out with them. Oh, cool. Yeah. And one of the guys obviously is really smart at figuring out the games and I'm always trying to beat it before he does, but it's really cool. Highly recommend. What's it called? Alice in Borderland. Okay. Yeah, I'll check it out. Yeah, it's really good. It might be called Alice in Wonderland, but I'm, I think it's Borderland, but I'm not. It's one of those two. Oh, wait, I did see this. Did you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Great, right? It was really good. So let me ask this will be kind of like a two parter question. What is your day to day like as a freelancer? And how do you maintain a good work life balance? So day-to-day -day when I'm booked is 10 to 7 at the desk, like a regular job. I mean, when I'm booked, it's like a, a regular job, right? So same as everyone, I'm guessing. When I'm not booked, I mostly just chill, <laughs> try to find new work. So even when I am booked, I'll be reaching out to other clients being like, I have availability starting this XYZ. And then this dread of thinking I'll never get booked again. But yeah, that's, I mean, same, well, I guess, you know, work, gym, dinner, sleep, repeat. But yeah, I think the habit is very important. That's one thing with me, why I'm always nervous to make the jump to freelance one day, but I'm not great at keeping myself accountable for if I don't have work to, I'm going to be sitting here doing something until, you know, at 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. And I'm going to keep that going. I just get so lazy so quick. It's tough, but yo, power to you, man. That's awesome. So actually last, this is the best and favorite question. In one or two sentences, what would be your pocket advice to anybody new in the field or anybody professional? If you think you just got something that is just profound. I think I would just say explore more tools and try to find one you really like and try to find a niche in that. I'm speaking for myself, I've gotten hired a lot as a generalist, but I have found that a lot of people started to approach me specifically for like the kind of work that I do in like cloth and fashion and stuff like that. And I think it's benefited me a lot. So I think explore new tools, you might find something you really like and then get really good at that one thing. I love that. Yeah. Throw a wide net and see what you like. So let's go ahead and jump into NFTs. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you know this, we have an NFT expert with us. <laughs> this guy pretty much made NFTs, the inventor of NFTs, Alan Enrique. But <laughs> no, but you were, I think, one of the first people that actually came up to me. And I don't know if you remember, I forget what bar we were at, but I think it was like me, you and Nick. And we were just sitting there and you're like, Guys, I just did something called an NFT. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. 
And you're like, and it sold. I'm on a website and they're selling NFTs. I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. And it sold for a lot of money. And we were like, what the fuck is this? So you were kind of early to the game, in my opinion. What got you into NFTs? And yeah, if you can just describe what an NFT is in your words. Okay, so first, what is an NFT? I'm trying to find like a succinct way to say this. I feel like to me, I would say NFTs, first of all, stand for a non-fungible token, which is a part of the Ethereum blockchain. So the way that I would describe it is more of an example. So let's say you have an image on the internet. Anyone can have that image, right? I can copy paste it, right click, save as. So what do you need to prove that you own that image? And I think that's what NFTs are solving. So when you buy that image, someone can come to you and say, why would you pay for that? I can just right click, save as, and then you can say, well, prove that you own it. They can't. You can if you purchase the NFT because it's in the blockchain, it's in the built-in smart contract. So you have a direct way to prove that you own it. So digital ownership, I guess, is what NFTs are. Now, this is one thing I've always wondered. Do you feel that the NFT is more valuable on the fact that you can tell people that you own it or the fact that you supported an artist? Uh, both. Fair. That's very fair. Because that's one thing I've just always felt is I kind of come to understand, you know, at first when I said, oh, well, you know, I was kind of a part of that well, you can just copy and paste the image. And people are like, well, you don't own it. I was like, well, that's still fine. <laughs> you know, I don't really care about owning an image, but I did really come to this understanding that it's a cool thing to own something saying that you supported an artist because I've supported artists in the past, just either like buying a CD from somebody or buying prints online and the only place people can see it is if they literally come to my house or if they the cd that no one will ever hear or see but i love this idea that you have a public thing online that shows that you it's almost like a representation to yourself to other people that you support artists yeah and that's kind of where i came into really liking this idea of nfts and it also puts value onto the artists themselves when you buy one. Yeah, definitely. So what have you done in the NFT space? So I first got started in July of 2020 when I got an email from this guy named Tommy who worked at Nifty Gateway. No clue what it was. I've never heard of NFTs. I didn't really dabble in crypto at all. We hopped on a call, he explained it to me. I was just like you where I said, why would anyone pay for that? I have these things for free on Instagram, like just go right click, save as. And I went to the site and I saw that these things were selling. So I said, you know, why not? So I first dabbled in August as far as releasing any kind of work. So my first collection dropped on Nifty Gateway in August of last year, sold out crazy. I even recorded it. I have it on my phone. <laughs> it was wild. And then I think after that is when I really got super involved in NFTs. And then with the NFTs, have you bought any NFTs? Yeah, lots. 
So I'm very curious, what NFTs do you buy and what makes you decide on whether or not you're going to buy a certain NFT? I think NFTs fall in many categories, but for me, there is one where it's all about the art. Do you like it? Do you support the artist? Cool. The other category is money. Most of my buys fall into the second category. I don't really have the money to be just buying art just for the sake of art. A lot of this stuff is really expensive, but a lot of this stuff is also really cheap. So I could if I wanted to, I guess. But I am fully taking advantage of NFTs in the sense that this could create sometimes even generational wealth. Like there's a lot of money in NFTs. So the majority of NFTs that I buy is for the sole purpose of flipping them for more money. And that's, if I had to guess, it's the majority of collectors. Interesting. So I like this idea of generational wealth. And yeah, I mean, honestly, imagine having a, you look at Banksy pieces, how much those have multiplied over the years. And with NFTs, it's almost definitely the same thing. You're getting a piece of art from an artist and over time, people are going to want that art to claim it for themselves. So where do you see though, NFTs evolving? Where do you see NFTs being in 10 years? So in 10 years, NFTs will be mainstream. They'll be everywhere. I have no clue what that means. NFTs, since I started, even just a year and a half to now, have completely transformed at least 10 or 12 times. So I don't know. But all I do know is that a lot of what's happening now, I, I, like a few, like a year or two ago, I never would have thought would even be possible. NFTs, I think when they started, were just a picture, right? It's like, cool, I like the picture. Nowadays, it's there's a lot of utility in NFTs. So if I own one NFT, it, I don't just have that picture. Like it gives me access to private discords or it gives me access to real life events or it gives me access to future NFTs and et cetera, et cetera. Like they're more than just an image now. And I think they're going to continue to go that way. Some of these even produce tokens, which you can exchange for real money. So there's like a lot going on with NFTs. Yeah, I feel like it definitely is something that is growing at pretty exponential speed. Like you said, it was a picture to where I think David Aria right now just uploaded an entire 1080 by 1920. Those aspect ratios could be wrong, but it was like a whole two minute movie clip. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that is beautiful. It's awesome that it's kind of developed into where it is. And I saw even one that was really fun. It was like you get an egg and after every six months, you get another NFT that is like an evolved version of that egg. And you don't know which egg you got or what it's going to evolve into. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're fun. Super fun. It's like you get a new little art piece every few months. It's a fun project. So there's these terms well a term called the metaverse and i feel like it's different when you ask anybody you're going to get a different response from any person you ask 
So what do you think about the metaverse? Is that something fake? Is that something real? Is that something that it's coming down the line? Do you know any I mean, thoughts on it? It's already here. By metaverse, I'm assuming you mean like our online identities, right? In like a virtual kind of world. If that's what it means to you, because I feel like it's different to everybody. So yeah, I guess what's your idea of what is the metaverse? To me, the metaverse is a digital reality it's like a video game. Like if I'm playing Xbox Live, I'm playing with people in a digital environment. For me, like that's a metaverse. That's the way I look at it, I guess. So it's already here. There's already a lot of NFTs that are creating 3D avatars that you can mint and buy to use in these digital worlds, like the sandbox, like I forgot the others, but there's already lots. Yeah, I could see totally having worlds where the only photos you're allowed to import are nfts just so you're not dealing with anybody having lawsuits or anything like that it's actually own materials in your own space mm -hmm. which i think is so cool and i'm excited to see where that develops into so what's your definition of metaverse so there's almost two ideas right so there's kind of like if i'm talking to just a general person i think there's this common idea that the metaverse it's a second internet and on the second internet, it's essentially player one. It's one big bubble and you can go anywhere you want in this bubble from different stores to different music galleries, video theaters, and everybody's all in this one bubble together. And everybody's just gonna join it and you can spawn from one place to another seamlessly. So I think that's kind of like the general, and, and dare I say that might actually be the general goal of everybody. I know Mark Zuckerberg has been doing a lot of talks on that and saying that the companies need to come together and not separate in the metaverse. So I think that's a general talk, an ideology of what it is. Now for the metaverse for me, I think it's kind of almost like what you said. I feel like it's it's almost like a, second identity or an identity like we have with social media where you have this online persona i think the metaverse is now taking that online persona and making a virtual 3d version of it and that's kind of what it is to me yeah same here i think yeah have you played vr at all what's your experience in vr uh i know we've talked about it uh nausea <laughs> <laughs> I actually really like VR. I wish I could do more of it, but it makes me nauseous. I've heard a few people say that, and I definitely got VR sickness a long time, and I kind of developed out of it, and I've heard other people say, nah, I've kept trying and I keep getting sick, which I think it might just be a big thing that has to do with refresh rate. What headsets are you using? I just have the Oculus. I don't know which one it is. The newest one? The Quest 2, I believe. Yeah, yeah, Quest 2. Yeah, so anybody getting a Quest 2, the refresh rate on the Quest 2, I think is 75, or it might be 100 refresh rate. I can look into it and do a little update on the next episode. But yeah, just make sure, guys, you go ahead and they got virtual reality centers now. If you're looking to buy one, it's not a bad idea to go test it out and see how you feel afterwards. Cause Yeah, that's a good idea. 
honestly, you might even want to go because if you're in New York City, there's a place called VR World and that has every single headset and you can get ones with up to 144 refresh rate. Granted, that's going to have to require a PC with a GPU rendering in it. But if that's what it takes and you're very interested in it, that might be what you need to do. Or if you want to do a just something simple and you're not into it, well, try the Quest 2 out. And if you're not getting motion sickness, maybe that's your best option. Well, anyway, Alex, man, hey, I think that's pretty much all the questions I have right now. So I'm just gonna give the floor to you a little bit. Is there any like NFTs or any news uh, that you wanna share before we go or any websites people should check out or anything like that? I don't really have anything to plug, but if anyone is listening that has no clue what NFTs are, I suggest you do a quick YouTube search and consider getting into it. I honestly think they're going to have a huge run and they're not going anywhere. So get a MetaMask, learn how to use it, pick up something small. Yeah, just try to join a community and get into it. I think it'll be worth your time. Well, hey, thank you.